Thanks for checking out the New Life Speakers podcast. All of our speakers are recorded live at our AA meeting held on Friday nights at 8 p.m. at the Atonement Church in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. More information about recovery and our upcoming events can be found on our website, newlifespeakers.org. If you don't want to miss our newest upcoming speakers, don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications. This podcast is self-supporting, so if you enjoy this podcast, please put a dollar or two into our virtual basket. You can find a link for this in the description. And if you know someone in need, please share this with them. Thank you. I'm a real alcoholic. My name is Tim. I didn't drink all day. Um, And I always introduce myself by saying I didn't drink all day. Uh, And part of that is to remind myself that, you know, uh, it is a day-to-time program, and that's all I got to worry about. You know, I don't have to worry about everything else that's going on down the road. Um, And the other reason uh, that I say that is because it reminds me, right, of the times that I did drink all day. You know? uh, and I guess when I was uh, newly sober in AA, I was probably thinking, I didn't drink all day. I didn't drink all day, you know. And it was not fun to not drink all day when you're used to drinking all day. Um, our book tells us that, that our stories disclose in a general way uh, what we were like, what happened, and what we're like uh, today. And so I'll attempt to do that for you. Um, I am uh, the youngest of seven children. Uh, my mom said that uh, I would have been the seventh of uh, eight or nine or whatever, you know, uh, except the old man's alcoholism drove him out of the house uh, when I was an infant. And so, uh, but I grew up uh, in a time and a place where uh, that was unusual. You know, I was literally the only kid all through uh, elementary school. I was the only kid in my class that had, came from, quote unquote, a single parent uh, household, you know. Uh, and we didn't have the social safety nets uh, then that we have now. And my mother, God bless her, she figured out how to keep, you know, herself and uh, seven kids all under the same roof, you know, with food in our bellies every day, you know, uh, and loving our hearts all the time. You know, I have a lot of fond memories of sitting around the kitchen table uh, after dinner, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, we would joke about... Uh, you can always tell whose turn it was for the dishes because they were the first one up and they're clear everybody else is sitting there, you know, and we'd all like leave a little bit of food on a plate. I'm not done. I'm not done. You know, I, uh, and, uh, it was just, I'm, you know, I'm great. I'm grateful, uh, for the home I grew up in. I'm grateful for my mom. Um, uh, she, uh, um, she thought that the right ultimatum or the right combination of ultimatums and Irish Catholic guilt would, would get my dad to stop, uh, stop drinking, you know, um, uh, because she didn't understand that he was powerless over alcohol, you know. Um, and, uh, of course, I didn't understand that myself until I got sober. Um, and, and, you know, frankly, my family is riddled with alcoholism, you know. My mom was very <clears throat> upfront and honest with us as children uh, about my father's alcoholism, and that's why he wasn't there, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> our instructions were, if any of the neighbors ever, you know, ask anybody, say, hey, where's your father? Our instructions were to say, oh, you'll have to ask my mother, you know, because <laughs> uh, my mother uh, was not somebody that was easy to, you know, stick your, she, you know, if you asked her a question that was none of your business, she would say, 
why would you ask me a question like that, you know? Uh, and my friend JJ smiling because she's thinking about one of the stories of my mom. But anyway, uh, so, uh, um, you know, but, her, you, know, all her, you know, her brothers and sisters, same thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, my dad's brothers and sisters. And it was just, you know, uh, I come from a long line of people who died from alcoholism. Um, and so far, I have not. So I started uh, uh, drinking... Uh, you know, drinking, uh, in quotes, in uh, high school uh, a little bit. And then really the, ju- the, year, the summer between junior year and senior year is when, you know, drinking became a thing to do, you know. Uh, and uh, my buddy Mike and I would uh, go, and the drinking age was 18, so it was easier to, to get, uh, get alcohol with a baby face because you weren't that far from 18 anyway. But we would get down to Frenchie's bar and, and uh, the first couple times, you know, Fridays we would buy a six pack, you know, and just cruise the avenue, cruise my town, his town, whatever, and drink the six pack. And then after a couple of weeks, we ended up um, needing more. And when we went back, you know, I, I remember walking, I barely got two feet in the door, right? And the, the, I think it was Frenchie, the owner said, nope, once per night, you know, just, shh, you know, sorry, about face. Now, of course, I'm not a stupid kid, right? If I'm only allowed to walk in and buy beer once per night at Frenchie's Bar, guess how much beer I'm buying next time I go in there, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, uh, and, uh, and so that's what we did. And, and you know, that, that summer progressed. And, and you know, uh, my buddy Mike's, uh, he's still my friend today. We were, we were, uh, uh, we met in third grade. He's the godfather of my uh, youngest girl. Um, but his mom, after I got sober, told me the story of that summer from her perspective, you know, and finding Michael passed out at the kitchen table, having made himself a bologna sandwich and eaten most of it, you know, finding him passed out at the kitchen table with the fixings for a bologna sandwich, but never made it, you know, till by the end of the summer, he was passed out in his car in the driveway, you know, and what she didn't know, and what I talked to her about was that when he was dropping me off, right, I was going around the corner to Bobby Sheridan's house because Bobby Sheridan's father kept the refrigerator in the garage and it was packed with Schaefer beer, you know. So even like the first summer I started drinking, whatever I had was not enough. I had to have more. And again, this is, this is right, this is hindsight, seeing this later. I was hiding the fact that I was drinking more from my buddy Mike, from my drinking buddy. So on some level, I knew that my drinking wasn't, wasn't, normal, you know, um, and so, uh, you know, that, that started it off, I'd, uh, you know, I'd had a couple of drinks before that here and there, but that was, the, that was the summer I started drinking, and then, so by the end of senior year, I barely graduated high school, uh, at, you know, as the youngest, I'm the first one that's not going to college, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I was just, you know, kind of screwed up, and, uh, I remember telling people that I was going to, you know, I wasn't ready for college. I wanted to do some traveling. You know? <laughs> and if you're familiar with the uh, geography of, of uh, New Jersey, you know, I went to Bayonne. I went to Belmar. You know, I went to Asbury Park. We were talking about Asbury Park before the meeting because uh, I got kicked out of the stone pony for peeing in the sink. You know, uh, I mean, it wasn't in the kitchen. You know, it was in the men's room, but whatever. Uh, and... Uh, you know, so that's the kind of traveling that I did. And then I met uh, a lovely young lady who was going to become my wife. And then I got motivated. 
you know. Uh, so I ended up going to Rutgers, and, and unfortunately, my alcoholism uh, prevented me from uh, finishing my degree. Um, I mean, I got the education, but I didn't, I didn't get the degree, and by the end of my, my time at Rutgers, uh, you know, I was, I was uh, for sure a full-blown alcoholic, a daily drinker, um, and had, had uh, developed problems, uh, with, you know, had developed serious problems uh, other than alcohol. And so this is an AA meeting, and I respect that. I'll just tell you that I use drugs alcoholically, you know, uh, which meant, you know, more, longer, and, you know, uh, way worse than, than everybody else. And, and I hit a brick wall, and uh, in 1989, uh, that brick wall caused me to, uh, to cease and desist, desist. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I'll probably end up cut down on my drinking because I won't be up for three days in a row. My buddy Greg's nickname for me was Tuesday because we'd go out Friday night after work and nobody would see me again until Tuesday, you know. Uh, it was just, you know. Uh, and, uh, and so I remember thinking that, like, okay, so I won't be up for three days in a row. I'll probably drink way less, right? Um, and that wasn't my experience. Like, it was crazy. Like, my drinking was like, I mean, like really just, um, and that was my body changing and reacting and, and you know, good, bad or ugly. I, I, um, I, you know, I always had a tremendous capacity. Um, and so, um, so now I'm, uh, you know, 29 years old and the only thing that I'm doing is drinking. Yeah, it's causing problems. And um, I'm trying to think it was around that time that, you know, my wife and I would, would talk about my drinking every so often, not much, you know. Uh, usually, when I did or said something stupid while under the influence of alcohol. So that didn't happen more than 10 or 12 times a week, you know. Um, but, uh, uh, hell, you know, sometimes it was 10 or 12 times a day. So uh, I remember uh, uh, going on a, uh, uh, a tubing trip and playing on this rope swing and missing the river. Uh, and so when you miss the river, you hit the river bank, you know, <laughs> with the tree stumps and, you know, boom, 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 end up in the ER. And uh, the nurse says, do you know your blood alcohol level is blah, blah, blah? I was like, mm. well, it should be. I've been drinking all day. You know, it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And my boss, it was a work thing. Right? How to win friends and influence people, right? Uh, make an impression on it. My boss said, we probably should have waited till five after nine because we cracked our first drinks at five to nine, you know, and made it, you know, anyway. So uh, um, I convinced my wife uh, that I couldn't possibly be an alcoholic if I could go a whole month without drinking, you know. Uh, and, you know, denial's a funny thing, right? Uh, I think on some level, you know, we don't want our spouses, or our family members to be alcoholics, right? And so we're willing to hope, you know, we're willing to deny, right, and wish, right, that maybe it's just, you know, the stress of the job, it's this, that, and the other. So I, if I can go a whole month, you know. And I remember uh, one night uh, during that period sitting home and I drank like I used to drink iced tea out of these pint glasses, and I drank like four of them, and I said, hey, you know, I think I just like to drink a lot of liquid, because look, I drank, you know, <laughs> I, and uh, I was freaking, I was, I was 12 years worth of dehydrated. What do you, of course I was drinking a lot of this iced tea. You know, like, oh man, you know. But some of the stuff you don't know. But anyway, so at the end of three weeks, right, 
I called her from Patterson, New Jersey. We were living in the Poconos at this point. And I called her from Patterson, New Jersey at the end of the workday on a Friday. Uh, and I made up the story about this project that we were working on. And we got the green light. I'm going to make, you know, an extra X number of dollars in commission this year and blah, 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 blah. And you know what? You know, really, you know. If a person can go three weeks without a drink, you know, that's the same as going four weeks without a drink, you know. And, uh, you know, uh, luckily she said, yeah. Okay. I said, you know, I, I, I'd really like to pick up a six-pack and, you know. Yeah. So uh, she said, okay. And I hung up the phone. This is pay phones, right? And the phone was on the outside of the uh, outside wall of a bar on McBride Avenue in Patterson, an Irish bar. And I walked in and I had a couple of shots and I had a few beers and then I took a six-pack uh, for the ride to the Poconos, and I got as far as Lake Apacon, which we lived there for three years, so I had to stop in at Tiny's on the lake, you know, and have a couple of drinks there, and then uh, have another six-pack, uh, and then uh, there was like one left, I think, when I crossed the, the uh, bridge into Pennsylvania, and I realized, uh, uh you know, having grown up in New Jersey, like I was still like learning this beer distributor thing and you can only buy a whole case and, you know, which turned out to be great. Right. Uh, and my wife kind of gives me the fish eye when she sees the whole case. And I go, well, it's, it's $2 more than a six pack because of these dopey Pennsylvania laws. You know, that's why I had to buy this much beer, you know, uh, and, you know, and the, and the uh, you know, I'm only going to drink on weekends. Discussions would come up. And um, uh, meanwhile, things are getting uh Things are getting worse, and like, 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 uh, you know, uh, not paying bills, and uh, you know, dodging, and not, not go, like, not showing up, like when I'm we're supposed to show up, you know, um, making believe I'm sick so I could stay home and drink, you know. Um, meanwhile, we had two uh, beautiful baby girls, and um, I, I remember coming home from work, and um, it was one of those rare days. Uh, I had probably started drinking earlier than usual, um, that I was home like at supper time, you know, and uh, my daughter Megan, who would have been about three, um, comes running down the hall, you know, and uh, she comes running down the hall and she, you know, she, you know, we had this thing where I would bend over and uh, scoop her up, you know, and it, it always felt to her like she was jumping up into the air, you know, and she barely squeezed me around the neck and she wriggles out and she says, I'll get daddy's beer and boom, off she runs down the hall, you know, and I could see my wife in my peripheral vision, you know, and I dared not turn my head because uh, quite frankly, I mean, I got, I've got chills right now telling you this, I was mortified, you know, um, and while I'm grateful that, you know, the first thing that she knew about daddy was daddy gets a hug, you know, um, but the other most important thing about that was daddy gets a beer, you know, um, and that, that, that kind of haunted me. Um, and uh, it wasn't all that long after that that I started trying to uh, stop drinking on my own, you know. Um, and when I say uh, stop drinking on my own, that means I don't have to tell anybody, right? I don't, I, don't, I don't have to make any announcement. I'm not going to rehab. I'm not going to detox. Boom, boom, boom. My brother Pat, in the meantime, had gotten uh, uh, sober after uh, six years of bouncing in and out of rehabs and you know, uh, DUIs that weren't his, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and he knows this, and, I, and, and, and I've said this to him, and, and he understands, you know, but I looked down on him during that time period, you know, like, what is wrong with you, 
you know, how many times do you have to go to rehab, you know? And, you know, I, I, I am so grateful I didn't raise my hand. Again, part of it was my denial, right? Maybe it's not that bad, right? Um, but, like, when I wanted to stop drinking, when the only person I promised was me, and I couldn't go a whole day with a drink, you know, then I started to understand how hard it was for my brother, you know. Um, and uh, so for about six months, you know, I would, I would uh, uh, my business, we still wore jacket and tie in those days. And um, I, I'd be in the back bathroom and, and I'd be getting dressed in the morning and tying my tie in the mirror and I'd give myself the pep talk, you know. Timmy's the day, Timmy, you're not going to drink today. You know, and I felt good about it, you know. And uh, now I had, I had smoked it like about a half a joint in the uh, shower, <laughs> you know. Uh, so it took the edge off, right? You know, because, you know. <clears throat> um, and, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, this is probably the only place in the world where you meet people who drink beer and smoke pot in the shower, <laughs> getting ready for work or church or whatever, you know. Um, and anyway, so... Uh, um, you know, I remember, like, this happening many times where at some point in the day, it dawned on me, you know, that, like, Tuesday is the worst day of the week to quit drinking. So I'm going to wait till Monday, you know. And I would tell you that, you know, and again, because I wasn't telling anybody I was trying to quit drinking, but, you know, I told myself that, you know, uh, I just changed my mind, right? Because, this, you know, you start the week off fresh, you know. Uh, and uh, I didn't change my mind. You know, my mind changed me. You know, I was powerless. You know, my body is telling me, you know, you need alcohol. I'm in withdrawal. You know, my body needs alcohol, you know, and it's, it's a physical compulsion, you know. And once my body starts feeling like it needs a drink, right, because it knows, right, that normally when my body feels this way, I'm going to have a drink pretty soon. You know, so my body's anticipating this alcohol and it's not getting it, right? And now I start thinking about it, you know? And that's, you know, the mental obsession. Forget it. Once I start thinking about, like, concentrating on not drinking, uh, you know. And, it, yeah, over that next six months, it was just earlier and earlier and earlier every day that I had that first drink. You know, I ended up in, in hotel bars at 1030 in the morning, you know, throwing the credit card on the bar, you know. Uh, buy a round for the house. You know, there were two other guys there also in, also in suits and ties, right, that were supposed to be working, you know. Um, and uh, and there, was this, there was this feeling of uh, impending doom that I couldn't shake, you know. And, and it, it, you know, I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't know what exactly it was, right, um, but I knew that something really bad was going to happen really soon, and it was going to be really harsh. You know? um, and, man, that was exhausting, just, you know, that, that black cloud, that black cloud. And, you know, meanwhile, I'm, I'm, uh, 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 I, was, I was at a, uh, uh, a luncheonette with a customer, and a guy jumps into the booth next to me and says, you must have quit drinking. <laughs> and I'm like, it was it was the guy who owned him and his brother Frank owned the uh, the local body shop, and uh, I said, what? He goes, haven't seen you a year and a half, you know. <laughs> you know. I was a year and a half sober, you know. And so like we all laughed, and you know, he said, oh, good to see you, Tim. You know, blah blah blah. And, and you know, the customer kind of like, what? You know, didn't make anything out of it, but um, 
I, 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 in 1991, I bought myself a uh, Ford Tempo. It was a brand new, remember those cars? It was $10,123. And I had my uh, last drink on May 11th, 1992. So in less than 10 years, my insurance company had spent $18,000 on repairs in two, three, and $4,000 increments. I had a $28,000, $10,000 car, you know. Um, so, I mean, there were some visible signs that there was unmanageability going on uh, besides what was going on in, in my head and my heart. And um, I, I remember my wife saw, so I'm mostly working uh, in northeastern PA and northern Jersey, and so uh, there was more action in New Jersey, and more often than not, I'm driving west to go home at the end of the day, and so I'm heading west, I'm heading into the sun, and I would put the visor down on the car, and uh, my wife had rubber-banded uh, one of my favorite pictures of my daughters uh, to the visor, right? And when she put it there, she told me that, you know, she would hope that when I would see that picture every day, you know, that I'd be motivated to come home right away, you know. Uh, and, uh, and I was, you know, I was, you know. It worked, you know. It motivated me to go home every day, you know. Now, I didn't go home every day, right, because I was powerless over alcohol, but I was motivated to. So then I got to feel guilty about the fact that I didn't go. Right. I got, you know, so that was that was fun. Um, and, uh, you know, I remembered back to uh, being, uh, you know, the only kid in school from a single family home. You know, I remember <coughs> feeling cheated at times growing up, you know, that I didn't have a dad. Um, I had a great big brother, my brother, Larry. He was 10 years older and and we had a phenomenal relationship and he was in many ways a father figure. Um, but um I didn't want that to happen to my girls, you know, um, and and that was a big part of why I decided I, I want to stop drinking. Um, and so um, after uh, six months of trying, I finally called my brother and said, uh, you know, he was at this point now where he would, uh, uh, and of course I've, I've done it uh, now with, with folks, uh, he could tell, and you, you know, we all can tell, right? And our families could tell about how much you had to drink by the, the tone of your voice over the telephone, right? And uh, he would get off. He had more pots of spaghetti boiling over and more UPS guys ringing his doorbell when I would call him, you know, at 6 o'clock at night. Uh, and that was his excuse for getting off the phone. And he did it that night, and I said, Pat, stop. I want you to take me to a meeting, you know? And... Uh, so we made arrangements to meet the next night. I hung up the phone, puked my guts up. You know, I was just, you know, and uh, it was raining the next day, you know. And he lived about a half an hour away, you know. And, uh, and God bless him. Uh, when I called him, uh, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to make it. It's rainy. It's crappy out, you know, boom, boom, boom. He goes, yeah, I understand, you know. Uh, and what he understood was that I was suffering from alcoholism. Not what, but what it sounded to me like was he agrees that it's not a good idea to drive in the rain, you know. Uh, you know, I drove in, in two foot of snow, drunk on my ass, but, you know, uh, can't drive in the rain. You go to an AA meeting. So it took me about a week, and um, my uh, sister-in-law, I got to his house. We were going to have a bite to eat and then go to this meeting, and um, 
my sister-in-law, he was in the shower when I got there. She said, uh, also, also a uh, sober lady in Alcoholics Anonymous, she said, are you nervous? And I said, no. Oh, my God, what am I in for? Like, I wasn't nervous until she asked. And I'm like, why should I be nervous? Like, you know. Uh, and then she could tell from my facial expression that uh, that didn't register, you know. And so she said, well, she goes, she goes don't worry. But she goes, um, just don't drink and go to meetings, Tim, you know. So I'm thinking, okay, I shouldn't be stopping at the American Legion for a few beers before I go to an AA meeting, you know. And she could tell by the look on my face that I still didn't get it, you know. And then she gave me the key to this whole deal, and she finally said, the thing is, Timmy, none of us can do this alone, you know. And just something about the way she said it, that talk, like all of a sudden that, that, that unexpected nervousness that I had a moment ago was gone, and I felt okay, you know. Um, and so, um, so we went to my first meeting, and my brother had tracked down a, a meeting list from where I, I lived and uh, a phone number from a guy who lived in the same town as me. And uh, he patted me. Uh, we were standing out in the parking lot. He says, I don't know where you are on your journey, Timmy, but I wish you all the luck in the world, and I love you. And he patted me on the back, and he walked away, got in his car, and drove out, you know. Um, and that was, that was difficult for him. Uh, and uh, uh, it wasn't too fun for me either, because I was like, wait a minute, you know. <laughs> You're my, I, he's supposed to save me, right? I just wanted to be saved, right? I didn't want to do anything, right? <laughs> like, uh, me, good luck. Uh. Anyway, um, so uh, that was the last week of April. And then over the course of the next uh, 10 or 12 days, I went to three or four meetings. Uh, I drank three or four times. Uh, I went to a meeting uh, where uh, they... Uh, went around the room and introduced themselves. It was a very small meeting, and I thought, I'm not giving them my name, you know? And it started over here, and it went around, but I'm going to tell them my name is Jack. And it's going around, Bill, Mary, Michael, Susan, Bubba, Bubba. And the guy next to me says, hi, I'm Jack, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> uh, so I said my name, you know? And then uh, on May 10th, uh, I joined the uh, Kirkridge Group of Alcoholics Anonymous, on May 11th, I finished a half a bottle of Jameson and a couple of light beers. Who the hell knows where they came from uh, that were in the back of the fridge. And so I celebrate my anniversary on May 12th, uh, 1992. And so when I introduce myself and say uh, I didn't drink all day, I'm, I've been able to say that continuously um, since, I, since, you know, two days after I joined AA. And I'm grateful for that. Um, and it's mostly because of uh, the program, you know, uh, and the steps that I was able to stay sober, the uh, uh, um, um, time and a place that I got sober, the expectation was you would, we're passing the basket now, guys, pony up. Um, we, have, we have good news and bad news, right, Chris? Right? We have enough money to pay the rent and all that good stuff. The bad, that's the good news. The bad news is it's still in your pockets. So, anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, it was, it, it was traditional, right, that you would, uh, we didn't have chips, right? At, at 90 days, you got a pin, a lapel pin, and you were expected to tell your story within the next couple of weeks at an AA meeting and start writing your fourth step. And so I'm grateful for that because, I, you know, uh, and I've shared this uh, at meetings, I didn't want to write my fourth step, and I told my sponsor, I said, I don't want to do that. And he said, okay. 
was like, yeah. And there was like this pause. He's like, you still have to do it. You don't have to want to do it. Um, and so, and then, you know, after procrastinating for a little bit, he finally said to me on the phone one night, he said to me, he said, it's never going to be perfect and it's never going to be finished. Do the best you can right now. We're going to do a fifth step next Tuesday, you know. So my experience has, as a sponsee and as a sponsor is that a, a thorough four-step takes a few months and three very late nights. That's all it takes, you know. Um, and and, it's, and it, you get out what you can get out, you know. Uh, I ended up doing 168 mini four through nines, you know. Uh, back in the days of landline, call my sponsor. You won't believe what she said to me. Write it down and call me back. Click. You know, I, I was just over a year sober, and I called my sponsor, and I was just, I was doing my Dino, uh, those of you who remember the Flintstones, right? Dino would, you know, the, do, the dinosaur, and uh, I, 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 I don't know if I stopped to catch my breath, whatever, and uh, he said, you finished? And I said, I don't know. He goes, I've been waiting a year to say this to you, Timmy, and I'm thinking, Pearls, right? Now I'm in for the good stuff, right? He says, tough shit. Don't drink. Click. <laughs> Can you imagine that? You know? I called him right back. He could barely catch his breath. He was laughing so hard. You know, and, you know it's like, hey, this is, this, is, this, this is life, brother. You know? Uh, do you know that none of my neighbors came over and commented on the fact that I mowed my lawn that year without being asked by the neighbors, without any of, none of them came over and said, hey, I noticed you mowed the grass without being, you know, without us busting your chops, you know. I wait till it get, you know, knee high, you know, go to seed. Oh, that's good, you know, the seeds are good, you know, it's like, help make the grass healthier, you know. Uh, yeah, so, I, uh, we were talking about this at dinner tonight, um, all of the home groups up in the Poconos at that time, every home group met twice a week. And, uh, my, and, and one night was a speaker meeting, and one night was something else. Uh, and uh, my home group, we met on Wednesdays and, and Sundays. Uh, 8 o'clock was the earliest meeting. 8 p.m. was the earliest meeting back in those days. You know, My group met at, uh, at 8.30. And on Wednesdays we had... Uh, three different rooms, a beginner's meeting, a step meeting, and a big book meeting. And then on Sundays, we had a speaker meeting. Um, and uh, this, this, the format was, you know, me, Andrew, and Nick all belonged to the same group. We'd get in the car, drive 20 minutes down the road, and one of us would chair, two of us would speak. Each speaker would get like 25 minutes. And then either two weeks before that or two weeks later, three, three folks from that group would come to us, you know, and they called it a speaker exchange. And the nice thing about that format with 20 minutes each is that literally every AA speaker became a competent AA speaker, you know, because you're just focusing on what's important. And so, um, uh, you know, that, 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 that format was, was my uh, formation. And, and, and the best thing about the speaker meetings, I got to hear two speakers. So if the first one was no good, right? Or if, you know, I had judged him because he had a ratty old car or uh, whatever, you know, uh, the second speaker, I, you know, I'd get something out of it, you know, and they would urge us. Uh, and I, I don't know if it was written in the format or not. At speaker meetings, they would say, try to identify with the feelings and the experiences and not the details 
uh, of what the speaker's sharing about. And in fact, my very first uh, meeting back in April in New Jersey with my brother was, uh, there was a speaker, and it was a housewife. Now, what do I have in common with a housewife? I can tell you, right? Pulling the shades. Pulling the shades so I can drink in peace. And I lived in the Poconos. We were in the woods on top of a mountain, you know, like, uh, you know, and, and towards the end of my drinking, of course, like, you know, I'm dodging creditors and, you know, uh, lying. And, and uh, anyway, uh, the phone would ring, right? And I would hit the deck. I'd hit my hands and knees. And I would crawl past the picture window in the living room, crawl past the picture window in the hallway, and go into the back bedroom uh, where we had a refrigerator. Guess what was in that, right? Beer and frosty mugs in the freezer. And because I was convinced that there was somebody on, at, out, out on the front lawn at the payphone. There was no payphone on my front lawn. But I was convinced <laughs> that, you know, it was somebody I owed money to or somebody else. And they were looking in the window while they're calling me, you know. Um, and, you know, just all that fear. And, and uh, so, uh, anyhow, uh, It got worse. Um, uh, yeah, so that was one of the piece of, pieces of advice that they would give speakers when they were telling their story for the first time. If you lose your train of thought, just say, it got worse. It'll always be true. No matter where you are in the story, right? Yeah. So it's just, you know. So now I, I'm going to a meeting every day, right? I'm going home from work. I'm having dinner with my wife and my two daughters. And then I'm going to an AA meeting. And then I'm going to the diner, you know, and I'm getting home at 2 o'clock in the morning. Right? And this is going on for about a year and a half. And my wife says to me, you know, the only thing that's different is you don't smell bad. <laughs> you know, and that hurt. Like, what do you mean? You know, I never smelled bad. <laughs> you know, that's what I was focusing on, you know. And she said, you're never here. I said, I come home for supper every single day. We sit around the table we eat dinner together, you know? And I said, and then I get up early in the morning and go to work, you know? And, you know, we were, we were fortunate in spite of all the, the financial goofiness that she was able to stay home with the girls uh, full time. But um, she said, Tim, she said, uh, the phone's ringing four or five times during dinner from the guys that you're gonna meet at the supermarket because we would carpool everywhere we went, you know? The meetings were all not super close. And she said, and then you finish your meal, and you get up and you kiss three of us on the head and walk out the door. And uh, she said, my life is not any better since you stopped drinking. Oh. You know, and I had done a written fourth step at that point uh, and had started to make some amends. Um, and so uh, I, you know, uh, of course, called my sponsor and Told her, told him what a rotten wife I had, uh, you know, and I needed advice on like how how do I straighten her? I mean, uh, <laughs> anyhow. So uh, he said, well, and that was a Sunday night, which was my home group meeting, and um, he said, uh, tomorrow night I want you to stay home, don't go to a meeting. You know? So after supper, like I didn't, literally didn't know what to do, 
right? I grew up in a house with no dad. I didn't know what dads did after supper, you know? I, as a kid, we all sat around a table and talked and talked and talked. And sometimes we were just like delaying having to go back to our homework or whatever, you know? Uh, and so, uh, so I called him after, about an hour after supper and I said, I don't know what to do with myself. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I've never, I've never been here at 6.30 at night, you know, uh, sober with my wife and kids. And he goes, well, what are they doing? I said, well, Linda's washing the dishes and the girls are playing with toys in the living room. He says, well, go wash dishes with Linda or go play with the toys with the girls. And I was like, wow, he's a genius. He is like, like, this is like he's a smart, this is a smart guy. Anyway, um, and, and, and I had to learn how to do that, you know. Um, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. You know, uh, and I, I, you know, some of my fondest memories now go back to that. But um, I want to talk some more about uh, about the steps. The uh, uh, so when I finally, so here's how mocus I was, right? Uh, and I, I claim, I, you know, I still had my job, right? I still had my home, I still had my very expensive automobile, still had my family, right? Um, but really, at the end of my drinking, I didn't want any of that. I just wanted to be left alone to drink. You know, uh, and that's that's a desolate feeling. And, and um, so I, I, I was too mokish in spite of my quote unquote high bottom. I used to joke, you know, oh, yeah, I had a high bottom. My head was on the curb. Uh, at a sixty thousand dollar bar bill. Uh, it took me eight years uh, to pay off eight years. Uh, the day I got my eight, eight year coin, I wrote the very last check. They paid that all off, you know. It took me two years and three months to get to the point where the mortgage, uh, the phone bill, the electric bill, boom, boom, all those bills were paid on time in the correct month, two years and three months. Um, and so, um, uh, again, high bottom, right? So I'm uh, 60 days sober. I'm driving up the mountain, coming home after a meeting. My sponsor's in front of me. He's driving this uh, uh, pale green uh, two-seater uh, Subaru that looked like a door wedge. Uh, very unusual car. There, you know, I don't think there were more than 10 of them sold. And he's going up the mountain. He's going up the mountain. And I'm thinking, where the heck is he going? Where the heck is he going? You know, and I lived uh, in this development at the top of the mountain where the, the road came back around and came back down. And I was like at the 1.9 mark. And at, at 2, it turned. And uh, we get to my driveway. And he makes a hard left into the driveway of the house across the road. So I stopped my car and I rolled down my window. I go, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going home, jackass. And he walked into the house. That's where he lived. Took, and he did that on purpose because I still hadn't figured out that he lived across the street from me and had lived across the street from me the entire time I lived there. You know, uh, I'm so grateful I had a high bottom. Can you imagine what I would have been like? Uh, and so um, uh, I... Um, uh, I also didn't realize that he got sober in New York uh, at N.A., right? And so, uh, you know, he could only take me so far, and he gave me a format to use for the fourth step, and I used it. And he made that appointment with me for the fifth step, and we did the fifth step after a meeting of his home group, and uh, we went through the whole thing, and uh, at the end of it, we went outside to smoke, and he had me uh, burn up all the papers in the parking lot, you know? And as they're burning, he reaches over and he pats me on the shoulder and he says, Timmy, you don't ever have to be that guy again, you know. Mm -hmm. And I just felt a, a little bit of relief there, you know. 
Um, and, and that was something that came back to me over the years, you know, usually when I was being that guy again, you know, when my behavior was causing turmoil uh, in my life. And so, um, I, you know, I ended up getting a new sponsor and then I wished that I had written down the names of all those suckers on that burn on those burning papers in the parking lot. I could have used those names, you know, uh, and um, and so, you know, uh, my second sponsor, you know, both my first two sponsors were named Richie, and, and Richie number two took me through the big book. Um, and then, you know, that's who I did the 168 mini four through nines with. And, and his, he, he would always say, you know, if you worked at my, at my place of business and your job, part of your job was to continue to take inventory, he said, you don't stick your head in the office at the end of the day and say, we got plenty of hammers, see you tomorrow. You know, he said, you give us a piece of paper that says we got six ball peen hammers, 14 sheetrock hammers, 32 framing hammers, boom, boom, boom. You know, just a quick list of what it is. And so, um, and that helped me. And what helped me even more than that was uh, doing the ninth step after having identified. So the purpose of, of step four for me has always been to identify what it is I need to ask God to remove in six and seven, right? And so, and now I know what to remove. And, and, and what has been most helpful for me is to pray Specifically, for God remove my fear as it relates to talking to my wife about money. You know, I could talk about it. I can't talk about money, you know, right? Um, and, um, you know, I remember in the first couple of years, you know, like I said, it took two years to, to pay my bills on time. And then, um, you know, writing bad checks and, you know, writing checks putting it in the, in the checkbook, but just throwing the check away, not actually mailing it in. So when Linda checked the checkbook, yeah, he paid the bill, you know, and she'd be on the phone. Like, you know, they would call during the day and she'd go, oh yeah, it was check number 624, he wrote it four days ago, you know. I just wrote that in the logbook. I didn't mail them a check, you know. Um, but I, I, so when I started to pray that specifically, right, then I started to change. And then when I needed to make amends or to talk about something, right, I would get that specific, right, and I remember, uh, you know, this one particular electric bill, um, she was especially angry over, and, you know, she got the phone calls, and I paid it, and blah, 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 you know, um, I used to put check marks in a thing to make it look like they came back and they were cleared, um, like, 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 oh my God, like the energy, right? Uh, it went into that and she was, she was mad. She was mad, 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 you know? And, um, I called my sponsor and I said, you won't believe what she said. I didn't have to call me back. Click, you know? And I wrote it down, you know, I'm pissed off at Linda, you know? Cause she's busting my balls about these goddamn electric bills. Um, and you know, that affects my self-esteem right it affects my personal relationship right it affects my sense of security my emotional security right my material security right it affects my sex relationship with my wife you know and uh it's like oh yeah that's a that's like a four banger right uh and then it's like okay so let's let's look at column four you know and i love when people say you know my part there's no such thing as, there's nobody else's part. It's just our part, you know. There's no part. It's not part. It's the whole. It's us. And, uh, and uh, you know, so, you know, where have I been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, frightened, inconsiderate? Another four-banger, 
you know. And where I started to change was when I was able to go to my wife, look her in the eye, and say, I lied to you because I'm afraid if you knew I still can't pay the electric bill, you're going to think I'm a bum and you're going to walk away. And that's my fear, you know. And that was my fear. And, um, you know, I'm supposed to be the man, whatever that means, you know. I certainly don't know what it means, you know. But I know, right, that a man, a woman, a person, a responsible human being, an adult, pays the $37 electric bill on time, you know. Um, and so um, there, was, there was huge changes, uh, you know, because you don't want to go back and have that same conversation with the same person, you know, doing the same thing. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, the character defects are the same, you know. The flavor is just different, you know. Um, and so, you know, I would stop myself and, uh, you know, from doing certain things, you know. And my wife would ask me questions, and I'd be doing something, you know. I actually learned how to do the dishes. Well, I knew how to do the dishes, but I relearned. Uh, and uh, she'd ask me a question, and I, I would just be washing the dishes, and I got my back to her, you know, putting stuff in the cabinet. Timmy, ba 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 ba, you know. I didn't want to... I didn't want to tell her the truth, right? But I didn't want to lie again, you know. Uh, and, and so then, you know, I would have to say, I didn't want to lie. You know, I just, you know. Uh, so, I, I, you know, the, the uh, uh, amends part, I, I, um, I, I'll tell you a story about my sister Virginia, uh, made direct amends. So uh, I had borrowed uh, from her a, a decent chunk of money, she and her husband, and um, uh, we had put together a, a, a repayment scale, uh, and so I had borrowed it on this date, and like 90 days later, I was supposed to make the first payment, which I did, uh, and then that was the only payment I ever made, you know. <laughs> so then three years later, I get sober, and, and, and you know, there was an interest rate uh, applied to it, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm getting on my feet again financially, got to start paying these things back, um, and I, you know, that was something else I didn't want to do. And my sponsor said, don't worry about it. You don't have to want to do it, you know. <laughs> and like, he would slide that, that want in there. That, you, know, you don't have to want to do it, you know. But you got to do it, you know. Uh, and I mean, I'm grateful for it today. It just, you know. But uh, so uh, um, she, uh, uh, she and her husband were up, uh, you know, one of the kids' birthdays or something. And uh, Linda and I had talked about this and gone through the plan. And, and um, I had a, a significant... Uh, envelope with cash in it and so we're in the back bedroom and, and uh, I told them uh, you know that I was ashamed that I hadn't uh, hung on you know uh, held up my end of the bargain you know and then I had X number of dollars uh, in my hand uh, and I had a plan for when I was going to pay the rest you know and they're sitting on the on the couch it was a back bedroom but we used it as a there was a couch anyway so um, I my brother-in-law leans over and whispers something in my sister's ear, and she nods her head, you know. And so I get through, and I, and I hand my sister the envelope, and she said, listen, uh, don't worry about the interest, you know. And, uh, my, you know, like my, my, uh, my brain's going, yay! Because at this point, it was like a little bit less than the original principle. I mean, it was like it was, you know. And my brain's going, yay! And my mouth's saying, uh, no, this is the deal we made, and this is the interest rate we agreed on, and I'm going to pay you all that money, you know. And then my brother-in-law says, Tim, 
we don't need the money, you know. We're so glad you're okay, you know. Um, please, we don't need the interest. You don't have to pay the interest. And my brain's going, yay, yay, my freaking mouth saying no. Thanks, Randy, but uh, I got to pay, I got to pay this, you know. And I paid every penny, you know. Uh, and when I had an opportunity, I moved to Berks County 22 years ago to go into business for myself. And my brother-in-law, Rand, uh, Randy, sent me a nice card. And in it was a $10,000 check. And he said, put this in the bank as a cushion while you get started. And pay me back when you can. No interest. No arguments. You know. And then, P.S., don't tell Virginia. <laughs> but then when she hit her brick wall with her alcoholism... I was the one she called, you know, and Randy got on the phone and he said, you know, I'll buy you a plane ticket. Please fly out here and see us. And uh, six months later, she died of cirrhosis of the liver. Um, but I was the one she called, you know, because she saw what Alcoholics Anonymous in action had done for me, you know, uh, and that was a great gift. You know, it was it was a great, great gift. It was sad, you know, but it was a great gift. And so um, I, um, I, you know, I pray, I meditate. I don't know if I'm good at meditation, but I do it um, with varying degrees of, of, of consistency. Um, but step 12 is really what's kept me sober all these years. You know? As it says it at the beginning of that chapter, you know, practical experience shows that almost nothing will ensure immunity against drinking than working with others. And so, so I've been able to do that. Um, I, I, uh, I, you know, I, I've said, uh, I mean, I just, I've learned so much about myself from sponsoring other guys, you know. I've learned uh, so much about life and about love. Um, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead, I'm sorry, uh, kiddo, I'm going to go ahead and tell you about uh, the love of my buddy Steve Giacomo. Uh, you can beep, bleep out that too. Um, so I got, I got an opportunity to, to, to sponsor this guy and to walk him through uh, the steps that he'd been through with another guy. And, and, and uh, we became best friends. Uh, he had a, a four-year-old son when I met him. And uh, his son Harry and I just always clicked, you know. Uh, and I didn't have any boys. Uh, and so that was a gift to me. And he's 25 now and he's still in my life. Um, Steve has passed away, you know. Um, and I got to uh, walk part of that journey with him. Um, as he died of his cancer and as he held his, his, uh, his head high as he wrote gratitude lists every day up until the day he died that we did on email, you know. Um, I'm not going to get a gift like that anywhere else, you know. I am not going to get a gift like that anywhere else, and so I'm grateful for that. Um, I hope that um, somebody asked me recently, you know, how do you still have enthusiasm, right, for AA uh, service work, for AA, you know, regular work, which is bringing, you know, the work we do in, in Alcoholics Anonymous is not the steps. It's bringing somebody else through the steps, right? It says intensive work with, alcohol, with other alcoholics when all else fails, right? And so... Um, uh, Ask the question, you know, why do you still have the enthusiasm for it? And I, and I just do. And I know it's because, you know, I've been 100% successful staying sober since I've been, do, since I've been washing ashtrays. All right. Uh, and um, 
you know, I hope neither one of my daughters ever needs this program. But if they do, you know, I wanted to be here for them, right? Um, I've told this story before. I'm going to tell it one more time. Uh, well, I'll tell it one more time tonight. Uh, so I was speaking, I was speaking uh, at an anniversary meeting in uh, uh, New Jersey. And my daughter, uh, Caitlin, who was 16 months old when I had my last drink, uh, she was 20. She was home from college. And uh, she asked me if she could come with. She goes, is it an open meeting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so it was set up like this. And she's sitting in the, uh, in the, in the audience. And, and like early on, as I was talking, I just like started like getting emotional and crying. And I didn't have my handkerchief with me. And some guy ran into the kitchen in the back and grabbed a couple pe- paper towels, walked straight up the aisle, waving the towels. Everybody's laughing. You know, we got a good chuckle out of it. And at the, uh, you know, so I'm telling my story and I'm telling the, the B version like it was tonight. Like not, I didn't tell any of the urination stories, any of the state trooper stories, any of those things, right? Um, but every time I looked over at my daughter, her facial expression was like this. <laughs> you know, and uh, so anyway, so I'm just about wrapping up and uh, I see this fella jump up go back in the kitchen, grab a couple of paper towels. He starts coming up the aisle and I'm waving. I still got one more fresh one, you know, and he gets about two thirds of the way up and he reaches into the aisle where my daughter Caitlin is and he hands her the paper towels because the, the tears are just streaming down her face, you know. And uh, we get in the car and it's quiet. <laughs> it is quiet in the car. And I said, you learned some things about your old man tonight, didn't you? And she said, Daddy, I had no idea you were that broken. She said, an AA took a broken man and gave me a dad. Wow. You know, thank you, each and every one of you, for giving Caitlin a dad. Thanks for what you share. Thanks for checking out this episode of the New Life Speakers Podcast. Please remember that our group is self-supporting through its seven tradition. Donations can be made by clicking the link on our website, newlifespeakers.org. You can also find a link for this in the description below. Tune in next week for a new speaker, and thanks for listening.